How are y'all today? Uh, we had a great week at children's camp, didn't we? <laughs> Washing clothes and catching up on a little sleep. It's been good, but I had the opportunity just to spend some time a couple afternoons down there to think about my message this morning in light of the Supreme Court decisions two weeks ago. It needs to be addressed, and I felt like the best time to address it was the Sunday around July the 4th, when ordinarily we preach on patriotism and love of country and um, gratitude to those who have served and, and sacrificed that we might have the freedom that we enjoy today. But it's also an opportunity for us to think about being Christians in America. And you'll notice the sermon is entitled, and I thought of this, I guess it's just been mulling over in my head several days ago, Being Christian in a Pagan World. Being Christian in a Pagan World. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, says this. And this is Peter writing to the church in Jerusalem who are being persecuted. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11. Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Maintain good conduct among the Gentiles so that in case they speak against you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That sounds a lot like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mountain, doesn't it? Um, let those who see your good deeds glorify God who is in heaven. It says on the day of visitation here in Peter. So what are we to make? How are we to act as Christians in America? How are we to act as Christians in a world that is becoming less and less Christian? What are we to do? How are we to behave? How are we to conduct ourselves? Peter tells us right here, abstain from passions of the flesh, maintain good conduct, so in case anyone speaks ill of you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Let's bow together. Father, help me to present your word boldly and clearly. And not only to present it, but to be so convincing in such a way that all of us here will want to live by it and according to it. Regardless of what's going on in our world, regardless of what's going on in America, regardless of what's going on in Tifton, help us conduct our own lives in such a way that people will glorify you, and that we will distinguish ourselves by holy and godly living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, regardless of how you feel, two weeks ago, I think saw more drastic changes happen in our nation and the Christian principles upon which it was founded than any other time in our nation's 239-year history. 239 years. Christianity was um, the foundation, the principles upon which America was established. But either Christianity is no longer the moral majority in America or we have become the silent majority or the silent minority as other faiths, other beliefs, and other understandings of God's word have passed us by. 
The Supreme Court declared that homosexual civil marriages are legal. God's Word says homosexual marriages are sinful. And when it comes to a decision between following the laws of man and the Word of God, what are we going to do? We've got to follow the Word of God. We have to. God's Word, I have said this time and again, God did not tell us what to do and what not to do for no reason, just arbitrarily. God told us what to do because He loves us and He knows what's best. God told us what not to do because He would spare us pain and suffering. And so when He tells us not to do something, when He, when he tells that marriage is to be between one man and one woman, it's because He knows what's best for marriage. He knows the, the home on which a, a stable nation is established and founded. But if Christians have, have no longer favored status in America, God may well remove His hand of blessing from our nation. He may. Because that's what happens in God's Word when He says, if you no longer follow me, if you no longer believe in me, if you no longer trust in me, you can't just put it on your coins. You've got to put it on your heart and you've got to live by it. And if you choose no longer to do that, I will remove my hand of blessing from you. That's what he says. But I do not like messages of gloom and doom. And I'm not going to wring my hands and say, ain't it awful. I'm tired of that kind of talk. 239 years is a relatively short length of time that we in America have, have existed upon the Christian principles upon which this nation began. And so I want to take us back a ways and gain some perspective about how Christians have lived for the past 2,000 years and how they are living even today in other parts of the world. So I've got a lot of information that I picked up. I hate to tie too closely to my manuscript, but I don't want to miss anything. I want to go back 2,000 years ago to the Roman Empire and tell you a little bit about Christianity in those earliest days and what happened as a result of the persecution that they faced. The Roman Empire was a pagan place where Christian values were not valued, where, where beliefs were not known or respected. Corruption was pervasive in business. Morality was at an historic low. Divorce was common to the point that marriage had become passe. The Roman Empire was a dirty, filthy environment riddled with disease and epidemics. Life expectancy was about half what it is in America today. There were few families in the Roman Empire that had both parents, and few parents saw all their children grow into adulthood. Modern methods of birth control were unknown, so abortions were frequent. And because medical procedures were so primitive, no one knew what germs and bacteria were. Infections were common. So many who had abortions became infertile or died in childbirth or in, in, in the abortion procedure. So the, child, the, the birth control of choice became infanticide. They would determine the gender of the child at birth. They would keep the male babies, and if it was a female baby, they would either take it down to the seashore or out into the woods where it would die, where she would die of exposure. Epidemics swept through, throughout cities so that often half a city's population was wiped out by measles or smallpox or the bubonic plague. 
The Roman government, when that happened, they just transported tens of thousands more people from different parts of the empire into that city and repopulated it. And so that resulted in different languages being spoken. People could not communicate with each other and racial prejudice arose. Rome was an unusual empire in the fact that it tolerated different religions as long as they worshiped Caesar along with what they were doing. But there was a date when all of that changed. Christianity, for a season, enjoyed protection under the umbrella of Judaism. Judaism was a protected religion, so Christianity coming out of Judaism was also enjoyed that protection until July 19th, A.D. 64. On July 19th, 1864, Rome burned. It burned for three days. And just as it was dying out, it flared up again and burned for another three days. It destroyed the homes of tens of thousands of people. And it was actually rumored that Nero stopped the firefighters from putting out the fires. And then it was rumored that Nero's soldiers were actually the ones who started the fires, kind of as an urban renewal project. But Nero didn't intend for the fire to get so out of hand. And when it did, his political base in the Senate began to erode. And so he had to find a scapegoat, and he blamed Christians. They were handy. They were available. Christians were gathered up. Many were crucified. Some had animal skins, animal skins sewn onto them and thrown into the arenas with wild animals. And the Roman historian Tacitus actually recounted the fact that Christians were often dipped in pitch and impaled on long poles and set on fire to illuminate Nero's gardens while he strolled through them at night. And it's about three years after that that Peter wrote this. I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Maintain good conduct among the Gentiles. That just means among the pagans. Gentiles was often used for pagans. So that in case they speak against you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Three years later, Peter was crucified. So how are Christians to live in such a pagan, corrupt, evil society that I just described to you in Rome? This is what they did. This is what they did. Christian husbands and wives were faithful to each other. They avoided divorce. They treated women with dignity and respect. They did not have abortions. They kept and loved female babies. Matter of fact, Christians would often go into the woods and down to the seashores and find those abandoned girls and bring them into their homes and raise them as their own. Because there were such few women in the Roman Empire, they were getting married younger and younger, often as old as 11 or 12 years of age. But Christians were different. The church taught that women should not marry until they were adults, and they should be virgins when they were married. And that's when Roman men started noticing how many women were Christians. And so the Roman men started coming to church 
by the tens of thousands. And when they did so, they were converted to Christianity. And when the plagues swept through the cities and wiped out half the population, the Christians moved into those cities at the risk of their own lives to care for those who had been abandoned. And when the family members returned six months later, after the plague had subsided, those family members found that many of their family who had been sick and left behind had been converted to Christianity because they had found a love that they didn't find even in their own families. Over and over again, Christians in those early centuries were living holy lives in a manner that was slowly transforming the world. We know at Pentecost there were about 3,000, a little over 3,000 Christians at Pentecost. That's about 17 thousandths of a percent of the empire's population. 17 thousandths of a percent, virtually no one. By living consistent and godly lives, their numbers began to increase so that by the year A.D. 350, when Constantine became ruler, there were 33.9 million Christians in the Roman Empire, representing over half of the world's population, 56.5%. Constantine had a Christian majority. He didn't change the empire to become Christian. Holy living changed the empire. Holy living over three centuries gradually transformed the Roman Empire. How did they do it? By living holy lives, by separating themselves from the evil and corrupt nature of Rome and living a distinct lifestyle that attracted people to them and to Jesus. They were aliens in a strange world, as Peter writes. And they abstained from the sinful desires and lived the kind of lives among pagans that pagans saw their good deeds and glorified God as they were told to. So what about today? Well, we hear all kinds of complaints living in America today. Let me say something you're not going to like. If America is becoming less Christian, it's our fault. It is our fault. This great nation that was built upon Christian principles is losing its distinctive heritage. And brothers and sisters, it is our fault. Evangelical Christians are no longer the majority in America because we have forsaken our calling. We have lost our influence. Our lives and lifestyles have become no different from the rest of the world. So if people see you in a group, they cannot distinguish you as being Christians. We have ceased to be the salt and the light that Jesus called us to be. C.K. Chesterton, that whip from England years ago, said the problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and found wanting. The problem is that it has been found too difficult and left untried. Did you hear it? It's not that it's been tried and found wanting. It's that it's been found too difficult and so left untried. Don't get discouraged because immorality, evil living is nothing new. There has always been drug abuse, corruption, pornography, 
As a matter of fact, I was reading somewhere that about 125 years ago, laudanum, laudanum, you ever heard of that? L-A-U-D-A-N-U-M, it's, it's an opium extract. It was so prevalent in America 125 years ago that half of America was stoned at any one time. They actually sold syringes in the Sears catalog. So what we see in America today is not new. The challenges have always been with us, but there is hope. And I want this to be a message of hope. I'm not gonna wring my hands and just say, ain't it awful. Despite the turn of events in our Supreme Court in recent weeks, there are multitudes of born-again Christians in high levels of government. This is hard to believe, but about 90% of Americans still claim some Christian affiliation. In the churches where the Bible is taught and lived out are flourishing and multiplying. The churches that are growing are those where there is commitment to the truth of Scripture and the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've got to do. And that's what we've got to preach. And not just preach, that's what we've got to believe and live. There was a New York Times editorial several years ago that said that evangelical Christians in the U.S. were shaping foreign policy toward righteousness. And if today is a typical day, there will be 32,000 new Christians in China, 20,000 new Christians in Africa, south of the Sahara, 10,000 new Christians in South America. And so that's why missionaries from South Africa and South America and China are coming to America. Because we are the land now that needs the Christian witness. The Christian faith is growing all over the world and Christians are witnessing and living holy lives so much so that there are people who say that the first part of the 21st century may be one of the greatest spiritual awakenings in American history. I pray it be so. I pray it be so. I pray Christians rise up because of recent events and say, we're different, and we're going to live different lives, and society is going to see a difference that we can make as we follow Christ and live out his word and not just go along with society. There are Christians all over the world who are living godly lives and having an impact on their society. There are those in America, though, who say our brand of Christianity is a mile wide and an inch deep. I don't think so. Let me tell you why. I was heartbroken when I saw what Dylan Roof did at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston two weeks ago. But did you see the church's response? Did you see the church's response? It was one of amazing love and forgiveness, and one by one, families of those victims who had been shot and killed came forward and said, we forgive Dylan Roof. We forgive him and the senseless brutality that he enacted upon a group that welcomed him with open arms and spent an hour in Bible study. 
before he stood up and pulled out a 45 and started firing. And have you realized this? As a result of what that church has done, we have not seen the racial unrest in Charleston that we've seen in other cities across America. The, the media didn't cover much of that because it doesn't create enough controversy or stir conflict or boost ratings. But how powerful, how powerful that church's witness has had in the world. If Christians want to make a difference in America, it'll have to be without, without the help of mainstream media, news outlets, because they aren't going to cover it. It'll have to be one person at a time living a holy life and reaching out and caring for and loving another person and telling him or her about Jesus. And the kind of lifestyle that person lives is going to draw people to Jesus. We can do it. If someone asks you your opinion of the Supreme Court decisions, feel free to disagree. But do so in love. Do so in love. When asked about anything controversial, feel free to disagree to express your opinion, but do so in love. If you don't hear me say anything else this morning, hear me say this. This was a sentence I've been rolling around in my head for a couple weeks now. The light shines the brightest when it is the darkest. The light shines the brightest when it is the darkest. And the Christian church never grew faster than it did in those early centuries when it was facing its, its greatest persecution because those early Christians stood up boldly and said, we don't care what you do to us. We're going to follow God. And we're going to live by his word. And we're going to trust him to take care of us. And we know he will. We looked at a parable a few Wednesday nights ago that a few of you may have missed. It was Matthew 13, 24 through 30. About a man who sows some wheat, and then somehow, when that wheat was coming up, an enemy slipped in and sowed some weeds, and it was popping up in that field right alongside the wheat. And so his servants come to him and ask him, do you want us to uproot the weeds? And he said, no, because in doing so, you'll probably uproot some wheat too. Leave them both alone until the harvest. And then the harvest, harvesters will come and they will gather the weeds into bundles and burn them. And the wheat will be gathered and brought into my barn. And that's what's happening today. Let there be no doubt about it. Wheat and weeds are growing up side by side. And sometimes, friends, honestly, there seems to be more weeds than wheat. I've read several times where Muslims are, are planning to dominate the world in a few generations by having more babies than everyone else. And they're on track to do that. They're on track to do that. 
The radical wing of Islam is spreading like wildfire based on a message of hate and fear. But Jesus is telling us that love is stronger than hate. And the wheat will outgrow the weeds. So don't worry too much now about trying to pull up the weeds. He's going to take care of that. What he does tell us to do is you get busy sowing some wheat. You sow some wheat and God will bring in the harvest and God will separate the weeds out at that time. So don't focus on the weeds. Don't focus on the negative and get depressed. Focus on what you can do. As evangelical Christians get involved in the political process. The presidential election in 2016, I've heard many say, will be the most important election in our lifetimes. Get involved. Express your opinion lovingly. And in the meantime, get busy sowing some wheat by living holy lives. Let's bow together. God, the times, they are a-changing. And we as believers in Jesus don't know what to do. And so some are throwing up their hands in frustration, some in anger, some in hostility. But then we see what that one church in Charleston has done and the impact it's had on that city and the change that it is making. The media doesn't talk too much about love and forgiveness, but it will transform our nation one person at a time if we follow you faithfully and live out your word, your instruction, no matter what the cost. We may face persecution for being Christians in our lifetimes. It may happen. And so help us decide this day whom we're going to love, what we're going to believe, where we're going to go, and whom we're going to follow. Let Jesus Christ be our Lord. God, let your word be our instruction and help us to live the kind of lives that hold you up and draw men to you and glorify you because of the difference we make. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.